happening, ladies and gents? We are back. We are still figuring out the name. The three points, the three, the unholy three, the unholy trinity. We're going to get it figured out. But bottom line, we have the great Garrett Bouguet, the amazing Josh Earl, and the handsome Corbin Ford all here. <laughs> Sorry, I ran out of a word to describe myself. All here today, um, or tonight rather. And just like we did last time, just we have a topic. We want to kind of flesh out, explore from different vantage points, um, really just get a fruitful, insightful, interesting discussion about a certain topic. And so for this episode, we have decided to primarily focus on a topic that you've heard a lot about if you're in draft spaces or you will hear about as we get into March Madness, which is best player available or fit in terms of how a team goes about or the preferred method of selecting a player in, in a roster can building kind of construct and so i mean both are pretty much self-explanatory best player available you know hey i got a good point guard but we got you know the best point guard who ever existed potentially right there we're taking them or fit you know that guy may be the best point guard ever to play but we don't need that best but we have a pretty good point guard here let's get a shooting guard who fits our system those are the two schools of thought kind of you know very much simple simple boiled down here in this discussion so we're going to kind of go into that and um already introduced the the great the great panel as usual but Josh Garrett how are you both doing tonight I'm doing good I got uh, I've got the Knicks game on the background I'm hoping that uh, Jalen Brunson goes off tonight because I'm in the uh, fantasy basketball semifinals this week so uh, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm doing great just been enjoying the hoops and excited for this sort of like philosophical discussion on on team building absolutely yeah I'm doing well you know tired from entertaining a four-month-old uh, <laughs> all day but yeah I'm good and I'm excited I'm always excited to to talk this particular topic as uh Garrett and you saw in our pre-pod uh slack channel <laughs> oh yeah it's gonna be fun I mean first off y'all missed out on that slack it's a very good slack y'all but anyways aside from that yeah, it's going to be a good discussion here. Um, I do got to say, since it was already brought up, Garrick, you know, good luck um, in the playoffs. I actually went and set an alarm on my phone to remember to set my lineups. So I get all excited. I'm like, time to set my lineups. So I go up into the app that we use, and I see the playoffs, and I know I'm not in the playoffs. And I went, oh, no need to set my lineups. <laughs> so, you know, better luck next year. I'll be around for the draft. But speaking of the draft, let's kind of just dive right into it. I, we can start with whether you agree or disagree, let's just start, I guess, with like the school of thought of best player available. We can kind of branch out however that goes. We're going to talk about all of it. So just as a starting point there, um, I am torn on it. I thought when we first proposed this discussion, I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to go best player available. Like that makes sense to me. You know, you if you're going to have a guy who can potentially be in that upper echelon of the NBA period, you know, I don't care if I have a, a good, you know, a B minus B plus point guard. If I can get like the top tier guy there, then we're going to grab him and my serviceable point guard will be a more than adequate backup. We're just going to go for the talent. But the more I thought about it and was looking at teams and trying to see kind of some team trends and, and just draft selections and the thought process behind that, I started to kind of lean over to team fit. So ah, I'm going to throw it to you, Josh, to start to kind of kick this thing off because I know. We have some takes coming up here real soon, so we're no better person to get it to than Josh here. But what is your take initially when you hear best player available and team fit? Are, are you kind of are you looking at the same kind of black and white way behind the scenes? Let's kind of start exploring this. 
Yeah, so it might not be the best idea to come to me first because I hate oh. both best player available and fit. Um, I think they're both heavily flawed. Um, but I think through synthesis, you can reach something better. Um, the, the problem to me with best player available is you have to clearly define that. It has to be clearly defined. And everyone always talks about like, oh, you, you, he's, he's a better talent. How so? Like, like I, I get the point. If there is an objective way, which there isn't, all of this is subjective, uh, which that's fair enough, but you have to acknowledge that and you have to clearly define it so that you can hold yourself and your organization accountable to how you define talent, to how you determine those those rankings and those tierings. Because I, I don't think there's a problem with taking the best player available if you are very clear on what best means and you're consistent in the application uh, in your evaluation of, okay, according to how we define best, this player ranks above this player and so forth and so on. The problem is, again, there is no objective way to do that. You cannot rank point guard prospects and wing prospects and big prospects exactly the same because they fill different roles, often in completely different offensive and defensive contexts, and uh, how those roles translate or don't to the next level and to your team's offensive and defensive contexts that that all differs it's like comparing watermelons to kiwis to apples to oranges to bananas you have to have clarity on what best player means and i have more to say on this but i don't want to <laughs> go too far down the rabbit hole and i want garrett and you to kind of have uh, some discussion point but best player available as it's typically put forth by most people, I think is heavily flawed. Okay. I, I love the kickoff point, Garrett. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those are all those are all fair points. And obviously we've seen teams attempt to pick the best player available and, and fail miserably at that. So yeah, I, I certainly understand that the uh, the the hesitation there. I guess for me, you know, you'll have teams have their own personnel, their own scouting, their own analytics departments, and they have formulations, they have uh, algorithms typically that they will use to try to decipher that and, and actually pinpoint and measure which, which prospects are better. But in my mind, the, the number one thing that every team, every championship team needs is, you know, an, a number one offensive option, a, a, a offensive engine. Uh, a guy that uh, you can give the ball to and he makes everyone else around him better and also can score himself. And if you can get other things like the guy has good size, he's good defensively, like all of these things, um, you know, the, the better they are at, at those individual aspects, the, the higher the, the level of prospect you're probably going to get. But I think another issue that I have with the, the choosing one or the other is that I think depending on your timeline, your mind shift should change a little bit. I think initially when you're, you're starting at, you know, home plate, you need to get 
the the superstar in the door, right? You need to get those star level players. And once you've done that, once you've gotten one to two to, you know, if you're in, if you're in dreamland, three stars on your team, then you can start to focus more on, okay, we're, we're now, we need to fill out this roster with role players that fit next to those guys. So then I think drafting for fit makes sense in that scenario. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a situation where I don't think there's one correct answer for all situations. It, it kind of depends on where you're at as a, as a team. See, listen, I got to be controversial because I agree with both of y'all in terms of the nuance that's necessary to have discussions. Team building, you know, it's a complex, ever-shifting sort of formula, right? I mean, you, you kind of have certain tenets in place, but it's as much reactionary as it is sometimes in being well, whatever the opposite of reactionary is. I lost all the big words in my head there. Um, but regardless, um, I, I guess I, not even just for the sake of being different, because I do agree. I, I guess my question, and I have thoughts on it as well, is, is there, okay, like, sucks, I'm not even really good at math, but let's say PEMDAS, right? Like, parentheses, you know, you have the order that you're supposed to go, you have an order for this form, but there's one that you, like, check first, right? What of those two, let's just say we have to choose one, right? Like, both can have their flaws, and both can be used, and all of that, but if you're looking at the draft, and we can, I mean, I'm sure we're going to go into some examples here coming up, but you see a player that fits what you have going on. You're a team, you know, let's say you're just past the rebuilding. You're not quite contending, but you're really kind of taking stock of what you are. You're one of those like scary teams on the rise, right? And you have a whole lot, I don't know, small forward, right? And you have a player that you can draft that can fill that spot, be a perfectly good cog, a thing like a Keegan Murray or some other player that can just fit right in with what you're doing. Or you get a player that, yes, may conflict with uh, position that you already have quote unquote covered, but can clearly be the best player or not clearly just by your scouting process and the way that you evaluate players, you look at this player and you determine that, okay, the tools this player has can take us to the top. Victor women. I don't know other players like that. I'm trying to find like clear cut players that we all can at least say, okay, it's a good chance. Uh, Garrett. Again, I think like, uh, you know, I, I think when you're starting out as a franchise, I, I would go best player available. And I think a good mm-hmm. example of of uh, a recent situation would be the Cleveland Cavaliers selecting Darius Garland when they already had Colin Sexton. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, fit wise, it didn't really make a lot of sense. You're drafting a second small guard and they're both on ball creators. Right. But mm-hmm. in re- reality, I think the Cavs understood that Colin Sexton wasn't such a massive talent that we can just forego needing players like him uh, in the future. And now, you know, it's been it's been proven out that Darius Garland is the superior basketball player and Colin Sexton is no longer on the team. So the fit of those two guys doesn't matter. So they you know, they they went in a situation where Maybe you would think we should go fit, but they went best player available, and I think it it panned out. And again, if it was, you know, the Cavs in their current situation where they have now Garland and Mitchell and Mobley and Jared Allen, they have a core four, you know, a core four group. Um, 
<laughs> Corbin just sorry. On the <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll just say it. I was. I made a joke about how I still believe in Colin Sexton. Long story short, but I'm sorry, Garrett. Back to your point. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the uh, the Cavs have those those that top four now. So now I would say, in a draft context or in a free agency context, they should be prioritizing fit. So I guess that's that's kind of my my recent example that I would say like again depending on the timeline your your strategy changes but out of the gate I would go best player available. Okay. Josh. So I I I think there are a couple of underpinning things that that cause difficulties with best player available. I already mentioned like you have to clearly define it and everything. But, like, I'll pose this question to both of you. Let's say it's an expansion franchise. There's one of every single possible basketball archetype available in the draft class, and you have the number one pick. How do you define the best, like, which of those fruits? Do you prefer a watermelon, a kiwi, a strawberry, a banana? Like, which of those archetypes, and I'm building an argument here, but which of those archetypes is going to be most heavily represented at the top of your draft board for that is best player available. I guess uh, for me, the the most valuable position in the NBA would be the wing spot. So the you know if if you've got equally talented guys at the guard position, the wing position, and the big position, I would tend to prefer getting getting a, a drafting a wing in that spot just because they allow you so much more versatility. If you have a wing, that's a on ball creator, like, you know, a LeBron James or a Luka Doncic, right. It allows you to have a, a variety of, uh, of different types of players at the point guard position. You can have like a Patrick Beverly type, you know, a guy that's more of a defensive guy that can just catch and shoot, or you could have, you know, LeBron had success with, Kyrie Irving, you can have a secondary uh, creator next to him. Um, but like you also allow you, if you have a, you know, if you start with depth on the wing, it gives you more versatility defensively to, you know, occasionally play small if you want to with wings at the four or the five spots or play big with, you know, someone like, for, for instance, Boston, Jason Tatum can sometimes play the two for them in just super big lineups. So, um, I know you were kind of maybe thinking more in terms of like skill set, but just in terms, I think mentioning what positions are most valuable too, I think is important. I agree with Garrett, of course, in position in terms of the wing, right? If I had to look, but the problem is, of course, Josh, you know, Garrett, you both know my my team building philosophy or where I tend to skew my my weaknesses more or less. I'm definitely looking more to the offensive. Can you like, you know, assume a high level offensive usage? I'll take a player who will, I will take a player who like, if I know can be a consistent offensive engine for my team and then say, okay, that's the best player available because you don't have a lot of players who can consistently drive good offense. I think you have, I think I could say like maybe 10 players. I would, well, I want to throw out, let's say, I'll say between 10, 11 players that I could throw out that, okay, those are consistent offensive hubs, whether it is. And if you lay those out, how many are going to be wings outside of maybe Nicole Jokic, um, Giannis, Trying to think, and I feel like Giannis is more like a big wing. But outside of like those two players, I feel like the next like five or six are some level of wing. 
or you know you get a point guard but like a like a jumbo size kind of initiator that is what i would look at and then honestly like i think you can always find not interchangeable three and d maybe it's d and three whatever the case may be but like the defense around those even if they're kind of offensively lacking to kind of fill up for those spots but you're not gonna really find in my opinion that type of all-purpose offensive engine that they don't just grow on trees i mean you have guys who might be able to replicate some of that but like there's a difference from let's say uh bradley beal you know and a jimmy butler um even those two let's just compare those two like, jimmy butler brings you a lot more defensively like he can create uh more consistent offense for for himself and others even if he can't shoot as well as Bradley Beal can, Bradley Beal's better creating shots for himself. But, you know, you have to build a team in a certain way that the Wizards still haven't found yet to really make Bradley Beal flourish and also raise the level of players around him. So, like, that to me is, like, where I look in terms of, like, for your example, Josh. But, yeah, when it comes to best play available for me, I, I feel like it, it does come – it's only as good – and, again, we're going to go into this more. It's only as good as your evaluation process and – how you identify talent. But I think you're always going to have, even if it's like one every like five years or so, we can name a player that we're like, okay, you know what? That guy looks like he's going to be the next star, right? And, you know, for every, you know, Greg Oden, Kevin Durant scenario, John Morant, Zion Williamson, you have maybe Victor Mignamin, whoever's coming up now, you have, you know, Luka Doncic and Trey Young. Like, there's always these arguments, but there's always a one guy that you can, like, if you trust your scouting process and they look like, hey, they're the best player, I take that. The, the Mavericks weren't scared of acquiring Luka Doncic when they had Dennis Smith Jr. That's kind of the example I want to get because I was high on Dennis Smith Jr. I thought he could be like an electrifying playmaking point guard that, you know, Rick Carlisle would unlock the offense once they get some more shooting and figure it all out. I'm like, Luka Doncic is going to take minutes away from him. No, Luka Doncic took the, just took the whole position. But, like, it worked out because Luka's that guy. And he was clearly the best player available not, in that, not only in a draft but just in general. So, anyway, that's my spiel on that. But, um, yeah, it's not Marvin Bagley. Uh, yeah, my draft takes from like 2018-2020 are best left unsaid. Yeah, I, I just find it interesting, and I don't necessarily disagree with it, although I have another archetype on the same tier. But uh, I think it's interesting that the default answer for almost everybody I've ever talked to in basketball about this question comes back to on-ball scoring. And there's, there's a whole mess of cognitive biases that lead us to over-evaluate on-ball scoring. Um, but I, I think that leads into kind of the, the root proxy question that most teams actually address um, because answering who's the best player available is a difficult question. It is a difficult question. You have to, again, compare all these players from different contexts, different roles, and try to come up with a who's the best. So a lot of teams use the proxy question of who has the greatest chance of being an all-star and what do we know drives all-star votes scoring and primarily on ball score. Um, and so I think that's overly elevated in these types of discussions. And, and we tend to overly boost players that show any chance of being an on ball scorer. And Corbin, you said like, offensive hubs and stuff there's a difference uh between play two players who are the type of players corbin generally likes like scores like you get them the ball and they're like demar Derozan. he's a play two Let guy. cook yes. yes exactly he's not an offensive hub a hub is something that connects everything so like, like a, a hub is more like a luca lebron Zion. no 
I, I say he's Zion. There. He's I, sitting there, but he's okay. not there. I would not call him a hub yet. Well, I say, okay, no, yeah, you're right. That's true. And I guess that was my spicy take. It's for another discussion. You're right, Josh. Yeah. I'm like, look at the Pelicans now. I feel like the one, like, they're playing around Brandon Ingram, right? And uh-huh. he is a very good player. I love Brandon Ingram. You know, he's, he's definitely inc- increased his, his on-ball utility outside of just scoring. But I feel like that team is missing the player that Zion is to kind of play off of. That's why I called him the hub. He's not a, a passing Zion or something like that, but he's it's the most important. He's the most impactful. Mm. I guess we should say impactful. And I guess that's where I'm trying to come from in terms of not the most offensively important or, or like the player who gets the most attention for the team success, which tends to go to the highest scoring player. We all know that's the case. Um, but I, I'm trying to get to who's the most impactful for the team because I think another big underpinning that we sometimes lose sight of, and again, it's because of um, a very difficult thing to, to do, right? Is, is the It's hard to evaluate players, uh, or it's hard to evaluate your team and know exactly which player is going to make your team the best and everything. So it's easier to just, well, we'll get the best piece to put into our machine. But anybody who ever has done any sort of engineering knows, like, you don't optimize the machine by optimizing the pieces. Um, and I think we often lose sight of the fact that it is a team game. And your job as a general manager and a scout is to build the best team, not to collect the most talent. We're not trading cards. We're building teams for a team game. Yeah, I wanted to just uh, touch on your comment about impact and that it's different than just, you know, on-ball scoring. And I agree with that, but I would also say that, um, you know, you look at your best offensive players in the league, your Steph Currys, your Nikola Jokic's, those guys are some of the best in the league at on-ball scoring, and they also can pass. They can move off the ball. They do other things to accentuate that. But at the core, they can score the basketball. And that's what makes them a threat. That's what draws attention. And that's what allows all of these other skills to shine. And when you look at, um, the, the in my mind, the main goal when you're drafting players, when you're building a team in the NBA, the, the end goal is to win a championship. And when we're talking about what teams have won championships, the Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry, one of the best scorers in the NBA. The year before that, you've got um, you've got Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks. You've got LeBron and the Los Angeles Lakers. You've got Kawhi and the Toronto Raptors. The teams that win championships have a great on-ball scorer as their best player, and you know, yes, a lot of those guys have more skills than just on-ball scoring, but the reason I think teams prioritize that is because that is an inherent skill that's necessary for a championship team's best player to have. Yep. Counterpoint, uh, I, I, I don't necessarily disagree. I think that is obviously, like, you need shot creation, whether that's a, a play two player who's creating those looks for himself or a, like a play through player, a hub who's creating looks for teammates. I agree. You do need that. 
but I don't think that is the only thing that leads to the bet like that player on a championship team is definitely the best player. Personally, my goat, the the greatest winner in NBA history, was not a scorer. I have artwork of Bill Russell right in front of me. Bill Russell is the greatest winner in basically all of American sports, and no one would consider him an on-ball scorer. So I, I, the, I, and I'm not coming at you, Garrett. I'm just coming at the the overall perspective in basketball is like offense, 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 defense, offense, offense, defense. Like I think we need to be more open to all the potential avenues to elevating the team to a championship level. Like I know it's passe in this season with the Timberwolves and everything. But you can't tell me Rudy Gobert hasn't been one of the more impactful players over the past several years for the Utah Jazz. And you can say Donovan's a better player. Uh, and, and there's probably arguments for both. But I, I just want to challenge the almost automatic assumption that everybody in this industry has that it's just about buckets. Because it's not just about buckets. It's also about... The, the goal, obviously, is to get more buckets than the other team, but there are two ways to do that. You can either score a lot more buckets yourself, or you can prevent them from scoring more buckets than you. So I, I want to kind of just inject more emphasis on, like, not just defensive impact, but, like, off-ball shot creators. Corbin and I have gone on about this, about, like, Reggie Miller, Rip Hamilton, Clay Thompson, Steph, like... There are other avenues to having a significant positive impact for a championship level team that often get dismissed because they're not on ball, which tends to be, like I said, a lot of cognitive biases support that. And it's the sexy thing, right? Like it's what we've all been taught is like, that's what's on highlight reels. That's what's on ESPN's top 10 is like, oh, look at that move. He made him slip. That's amazing. Oh, shit. Like, like it's, um, I, I just want to get that out into the discussion. Yeah, I think the, you know, the Bill Russell example is an interesting one, and it's a fair point. He was the best player on those Celtics teams, and right, he dominated the game on the defensive end of the floor, maybe the, the greatest defensive player in the history of basketball. Um, but I will say that for that uh, Celtics team to succeed, it required – because he wasn't this elite scorer, that rest of the roster having a lot of scoring around him in John Havlicek, in Bob Cousy, Sam Jones, they had, they were loaded with offensive talent around that defensive star. Um, And also, you know, we have to factor in that given the the difference in, in eras here, you know, there were less teams at that time. So the rosters were loaded with talent. And if you're in this day and age spending max salary cap space on a defensive star, you will have to spend a lot of money and maybe the rest of your salary to get those offensive pieces that you need to be good enough on both ends of the floor. I love it. I love it. Massive, massive pushback on that, Garrett. (laughs) We know for a fact outside of like the Rudy Gobert types, who have all the accolades that allow them to boost their, their contract stock, if you will. Um, we know for a fact defense gets woefully underpaid compared to similar offensive impact. So 
I don't think that argument the about for like there would push back in another direction. No, 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 Corbin. You're, you're, talking, about a, you're talking about a specific player, though. <laughs> yeah. If you look we're at ta- we're talking league, about a like top five defensive player in the NBA, those guys get paid. Yes, a Good, top yeah. five defensive player gets paid. A top 50 offensive player gets paid just as much, <laughs> oftentimes way more. So my argument that you're saying, like most it's more value players, than that, though. I'm not necessarily going to argue I see what with that. Yeah, I see what we're talking about. I love this. I know yeah. I'm arguing one on two. No, 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 <laughs> no. no, no, no. <laughs> but no, I'm saying uh-huh. we know for a fact offense gets you paid way more than defense. We're currently talking about a specific player who has had – multiple accolades that boost Draymond's not getting paid max money. He's getting paid well, but he's not getting paid as much as most teams like subpar. Yeah, but Draymond as your best are. player is not a championship caliber team. I, I'm not arguing that Garrett. I'm I'm arguing that you can't say that oh if you pay for a good defensive player, it's gonna limit your ability to get scores. Well it's almost the exact opposite. The scorers are the people who get paid the most. Like if you look at any of the salary things outside of like Gobert, everybody's a scorer. <laughs> like so, I, I just wanted to push back on that point because yeah. I don't think it hampers your your team building strategy to employ good defensive players because they cost too much. They cost, on average, way less than a similar impact offensive player. And yes a max defensive player is going to cost the same as a max offensive player. But on average, we all know this. I I don't think you you guys can really argue the point that like defensive players get paid a hell of a lot less on average than any sort of like quasi solid Corbin favorite sixth man super scorer who's not even a good scorer. He just shoots a lot. (laughs) Those players are going to get paid way more than an elite all NBA defensive uh, specialist who's not a uh, Rudy Gobert. Mm. Well, I'm not going to take the Malik Monk disrespect here. That's that's not going to fly. Tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I think it's an interesting discussion though because I, I, and it's almost kind of I love how we're evolving almost from kind of the best player discussion we haven't gotten to really team fit to like okay, what is more valuable in terms of contract stats because I agree a lot of players you do get a lot of overvaluing of scoring and I think a lot of that lends to the sexiness of it all but then I do think some of the worst contracts you can well not some of the worst contracts you can bring up but like I think of like a Mozgov I think of like I mean and some of this was at 2016 um extravaganza but like big money being thrown all the way but the biggest ones were defensive players that didn't perform in my we can look back at some of the contracts. I'm just saying. No, no, you cannot say Mozgov <laughs> got paid for defense. Don't give me that. He didn't get paid for offense. He did not get paid for offense. He got paid because they he suck was at one of the few scouting. People no, they got him. And the he Lakers got paid. Thought. Corbin, he got paid because the the price point just skyrocketed, and but, but, the Lakers but, sucked at scouting. Like it was a scouting problem. But they didn't bring him ever to be an offensive hub. That was never the point. Mozgov was offensively or defensively gifted. They just overpaid his ass. Like that's a different thing. So 
I get your Blue point, but like you can't use Mozgov as evidence for your point. Right, maybe I threw out the wrong that. guy. I, okay, no, and that's fair. I put out Mozgov because as as an intimate Lakers fan, we weren't getting him for his offense. I gotta tell you that right now. Like that was not what you weren't doing it for his defense either. Well, that was it the was idea. Just, it was bad big. scouting, bad process. <laughs> I think you they know a guy that I good. think is a a guy that I think is a good. Uh, a good person yeah. to bring up in this discussion because he also um, is reminiscent of Bill Russell as a player, but that's Kevin Garnett. And mm. Kevin Garnett, I think, was an unbelievable defensive player. He obviously could be uh, and and was the best defensive player on cha- a championship team. But I don't think his offensive game was quite good enough to be that number one option on a championship team. So he needed Paul Pierce and Ray Allen that kind of offensive talent around him to to get to the level that he needed. So again, I think there's and and they were able to make that work, but in this day and age it is challenging to get three max guys on your roster essentially or three superstar players. So that's mainly what I was getting at. I totally agree with your point that scoring is overpaid and defense is underpaid in the NBA, but when you're talking about a player that is capable of being the best player on a championship team that is better on defense than he is on offense, or more importantly, is not good enough on offense to be your number one option or your offensive hub, it makes things a little bit challenging from a roster construction standpoint. Again, and this is my last push on on this point, I I, I still think we're still coming at it from too offensive-centric a point of like, you can't be a championship team unless you have a clear cut number one, the best offensive player in the league or top five offensive player in the league. I don't think that's actually true. I'm sure on most championships, you will find a player who's a really good scorer because teams need to be in the top 10 in offense and also top 10 in defense, generally speaking. Shout out to the the Lakers that one season where they kind of just didn't care on defense for most of the year until the playoffs. Uh, They're like the one exception, but we saw in the playoffs that they did have a top 10 defense. So my point is it's a balanced thing. Like you need to have a good defense and a good offense. And it's more about creating that collective offense, that collective defense, and not about like the individual collection of like, I have this shiny uh, number one, score and i have this shiny number two score and i have also a rim protector like it's about the the building of the team again instead of about (laughs) instead of about the uh like collection of like oh i need a number one score you don't necessarily need a number one score as most people define it you need a team that scores at a top 10 level you need a team that defends at a top 10 level that's where i'm coming from yeah and i think something that needs to be stated at this point uh is the idea of yes you play just as many possessions on the defensive end of the court as you do on the offensive end of the court so i don't know if um if this is what you're saying josh i don't want to put words in your mouth but you might be valuing both of those ends completely equally like 50 50 perfect split Whereas I value offense a little bit more than defense because, say, for instance, a guy that is, you know, a LeBron James, I think 
being a great offensive player, you can impact every single offensive possession more consistently than you can impact every single defensive possession because not every defensive possession are you going to be guarding the ball or in position to help. Whereas on the offensive end, you can touch the ball every single time. Nikola Jokic touches the ball just about every single time on that end of the floor. So that's where I think we might have a little bit of a disconnect and why I might be valuing offense a little bit more than defense just because the best players in the world can impact that end of the floor more consistently than the other end. Real, real quick. I know, I know Josh got a rebuttal. I just want to make a point that Garrett, I'm going to clip this because usually it'd be me fighting the offensive on my own. Garrett sounding a lot like Josh. I've known Josh for four years, Garrett going on four now. It's the first time I've ever heard Garrett admit that he leans to offense in this specific scenario. And you best believe I'm going to cut and paste it and say that you do this for everything. Okay, now that being said, <laughs> Josh, <laughs> Josh so, is on you. So, Garrett, I, I agree on an individual level that an offensive focal point has a greater impact on each possession than a defensive focal point on the individual level. My, again, my key point where I'm coming from is I want to know how this player impacts the team offense, the team defense, both. Like, I'm more interested in how does this elevate the team as opposed to am I getting the best quote-unquote talent? Am I collecting the most pricey uh, trading card? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't disagree with you on individual talent-wise having an f- offensive focal point tends to have a larger per possession kind of average impact than a defensive focal point, unless you have like one of those Bill Russell, Rudy Gobert, Kevin Garnett type defenders, but they're very rare. So I, I agree with you, but I, I again, I want to get back to, it's a team game that we often focus too much on each and this specific individual and not how, which of these individuals impacts our team the most. Well, and again, that gets back to the point of like where I said best player available versus fit that changes depending on what situation you're in as a team, you know, and that's where I think when you don't have really a foundation or a core group of players get that offensive foundation that impacts every possession more more often, and then you can figure out how to get that good offensive and defensive balance and the, the good fits around that guy to make that star player's life easier. Okay. See, I think we've, we've gotten a good, this is a heck of a start. I think heck of a start. We're already 40 minutes in. Like we've really got a good exploration in this. Um, we got a horrible Moss God illustration. We got some really good historical references. I really like where this is going in terms of best player available. I think that's settled and I think we all kind of agree there. Um, so let's kind of touch on fit, and then I guess we can kind of go to more some examples that we can kind of talk about whether we agree or disagree in terms of how they apply to each one. But um, fit, I mean, again, it's, it's not a whole lot to discuss. We'll kind of throw it to Gary this time, then throw it to Josh. But um, what are your thoughts on that, I guess, as a concept? For me, it's like, yeah, it, it, I'm very much I think we all agree that it depends on where you are as a team, right? But in my mind, if I even if I'm a rebuilding team, I'm going to use a current example right now. If I'm the Orlando Magic, um, I think in this upcoming draft, I'm not going to lie, and I don't know if it's right or wrong, I would probably draft for fit. Because at every position, yeah, it's not perfect. I mean, this team is not 
a playoff contending championship contending team right now, but I like where Franz Wagner is. I like where Paulo Bencaro is. I like our point guard spot right now, you know? So I'm looking for a fit at shooting guard. You know, I'm looking for a fit. Um, I'm trying to think of the center. Um, oh, it's um, Wendell Carter. Like, in terms of I like those players. Again, like, yeah, you might get a, guy, get a guy that can supplant those players. I'm not saying you will in this class, but I'm just saying it's possible. But if I'm looking at this, if I'm looking at my team, I like where we are. I want to keep building on this. I like this as the foundation and want to add another player to kind of fit in there. Um, for me, from what I see in Orlando, I'd like a player that swing between the one and the two. Maybe provide more scoring in the backcourt because their guards have been um, interesting for me this year. But that's just my kind of philosophy on it. Like, if I'm satisfied as an executive or, or, or with my team, yeah, they may not be all stars. And yeah, if we're drafting at the top of the lottery, there's probably a reason. You know, we're probably not a very good team right now. But I don't know if that is just because we have like glaring needs of every place, or if maybe we just were a victim of circumstances of injuries, or we were just in a really strong Eastern Conference or Western Conference. Um, so I think that is maybe more when I would look to. So I, I, I throw to you, Garrett, and then, of course, Josh, where do you kind of get to the level, of course, in your team and philosophy, since we all understand that it is different stages, that you go, okay, you know what, Let, let's target fit. Because I know it's not just teams in the back half of the of the draft that do that. Yeah, I think, like, your example of the Orlando Magic, they're kind of right on the borderline in my mind because, yeah, they Palo and Franz as a, as a core couple of pieces, I think, is, is a pretty good foundation. Um, but you know, I also think they, uh, they need help in the backcourt. Uh, I know Mark Fultz has, has played well this year. Um, but you know, Jalen Suggs has largely been a, a bit of a disappointment being a, a top five pick. So they, they still need a, a guy that in the backcourt that is a game changer. And you could argue that they probably need, a, a third player to pair with with uh, Franz and Paulo moving forward to say okay this is this is our trio of guys we have moving forward so I don't know if I would necessarily say they're at the stage where I would draft for fit I would probably still go best player available um, you know I don't think Wendell Carter Jr. is good enough as a starting center that's like we can't draft somebody over him I don't I mean he's he's solid but I don't think he's you know, a top 10 starting center in the league, which is probably where I would, um, where I would set the line. But, you know, you can always have more depth on the wing too, even though Paulo and Franz will play a lot at the three and the four, you could even play Franz a little at the two if you got another wing. So um, I, I think you can go in any different direction. Uh, I, I've always thought that the uh, the optimal guy for them in this upcoming draft would be to get Scoot Henderson. I think he would be absolutely phenomenal with that group. But uh, yeah, it's um, like I said earlier. Once you get the you know a, a core group that you're comfortable with, then you can start to to uh, go for fit. And I think the couple of things that I look for when it comes to that is offensively. Do they have a skill set that makes things easier on Apollo? You know, can they space the floor? Are they good cutters? Are they smart basketball players? Can they pass the, the basketball? And then defensively, are they versatile? I mean, one, are they good defensively? But then also, do they have a versatility to them with good size and the ability to switch or play different types of defensive systems? Um, 
that's that's the main thing I look for when it comes to building out those role players. I guess I'll throw in my my two cents on the the magic too. Uh, I think you already have two fairly ball dominant, like fairly on ball guys in Paolo and Franz. And that's also where their development is heading further. I think the best fit for them, that also probably would be the best player available for their context, assuming they're not in one or two to get Vickers or Scoot, um, is probably an off ball shot creator, somebody who creates looks for themselves and for their teammates through off ball movement and can catch off the can shoot off the catch off movement off screens that probably helps maximize Paolo and Franz as well which I think is another consideration we, we didn't really talk about when it comes to best player available but not only is this player compared to the other players in the draft class maybe more talented uh than, than those players, but does this player's skill set help make our current core players' lives either easier or make them better? Because I think that's another avenue of BPA or of you know having that that extreme impact on the team performance is do you also help elevate the current core players? And obviously, Garrett, like if you don't have any core players, like if your team really sucks, like if you're the process Sixers at the time, uh, I, I'm tying it back to Hinky for you, buddy. Um, but if you're the process Sixers, we're getting back. You don't have any core players, like then obviously you, you want to do that sort of thing. But if you already have a couple of pieces where, like, we know we have Joel Embiid, right? Do we get another player whose game is very similar to Joel Embiid's? And like it's going to be hard for them to elevate each other, or do we get a player whose skill set complements Joel and Beads and makes Joel even better than he already is? Um, but but yeah, I think fit is another thing. Like, how do you define it? Because I know a lot of people just like oh, in the Seattle SuperSonics for several years in a row, we're like we need a center. We don't have a good center. So we're just going to take the best center on the board, but the best center on the board is like the 25th best player in this draft class. And then the next year they were like, we still don't have a good center. So we're going to draft another center that they had like four centers drafted in, in like five years or something. And none of them really stuck. Um, and so I, I do think if you approach fit from that type of perspective of like, yeah, we don't really feel like we have a starting point guard. So we're going to get like the best point guard on the, the, um, market or on the draft uh class um i don't think that's a sound strategy like i i think if you are going to look at fit from a perspective that's a little more impactful it's going to be what is our team missing like what like what skill set will help reduce the speed bumps widen up the bottlenecks and make our team even better at what we're already good at or maybe we have like one thing like we have that that uh i forget the name of the story but the the thorn in the lion's paw right like what is the thorn in our paw and which player in available to us is the best at that like if that's how you approach fit 
I don't particularly have an issue with it. But I, I think if you approach it from the perspective of like, oh, we need a point guard, we need a two guard, we need a center or something like that, it's almost always going to be like not the best option. Right. And I think one of the one of the things that's and why I mentioned that I think Orlando's kind of borderline as as far as like, should they draft best player available or should they draft for fit is just because like, do we know that the the combo of Paolo and um, and and Franz is good enough, you know, two or three years down the road to compete at the highest of levels. And that's where I think the timeline is really important in this discussion because, and, and Josh, you brought up uh, Sam Hinkie and drafting Joel Embiid. And then the following year, you know, he drafted Julia Okafor, which uh, I think we can all agree was a, was a bad selection. Um, but I think we might disagree on the, the philosophy of still drafting a center there because we didn't know Joel Embiid was Joel Embiid a year after he was drafted, right? So he had not shown not that he level. was some yeah. elite basketball player. So at that stage, if, if Sam Hinkie thinks that Jaleel Okafor has the best chance to be one of those guys on a championship team, I don't really mind the the thought process behind the process of that selection, even though it ended up being wrong. So a, a, a few points. Uh, one, that, that was part of what you and I were discussing about, like, I think Hinky had a sound strategy, just poor execution. Um, and part of that was like Jaleel Okafor was a terrible uh, scouting. That was just a bad evaluation um, for several reasons that I won't get into. But um, the other thing is, as again, this is a team thing. What are your resource allocations? Like, are you able to effectively help any of Nerlens Noel, Dario Saric, Joel Embiid, and Jaleel Okafor reach that quote-unquote potential and become an all-star if they're all competing for the same minutes, the same opportunities, the same developmental resources and attention. And I would argue you can't. You simply can't. Uh, another example uh, that we've talked about in the past, the three of us, is Kyle Lowry and Mike Conley were both on the Memphis Grizzlies at the same time. And mm -hmm. neither of them became what they became until they were separated. And, and part of that is you just, it, there's this idea of like, oh, well, you battle it out against each other and it'll iron sharpens iron and stuff, except that's not really how people develop. Like you need, you know, attention, you need focus, you need resources. And it's hard to do that if they're splitting their attention and their focus and their resources with another player who does basically the same stuff you do. And so when I say that I think Hinky had a good strategy, but he messed up the execution, that's what I'm talking about. You couldn't possibly have maximized any of those four players, let alone multiple of them, given the context that all four of them occupied the same spaces, most of the time similar skill sets, similar roles on offense or on defense. And you, you can't you can't you can't grow, you know, five beanstalks when you only have one watering can. Like you have to kind of pick and choose. And I get that Hinky wanted to be able to pick and choose, but then he picked all of one seed type. 
and and like those seeds don't grow well when they're right next to another seed uh like that so that's my yeah. take on the the, the process the, the healing stuff I think it's interesting y'all brought this up. I was going to say it's not the, the process related, but I mean, we saw in Denver, you know, you had Nikola Jokic, but you had Yusuf Nurkic as well, right? And when they got split, now obviously, yeah, exactly. Like one is like perennial no, MVP candidate. One is a serviceable, you know, starting center, maybe just slightly starting his decline now, you know, but it's been almost a decade. Like When not yeah. injured, when not injured, he's actually a really good center. The problem is. Very true. Always nearly injured. But yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. But I also would I I would counter all of this and and I agree that there are certain situations where a player's development is stunted. But I would also say that if I'm a team and I have both Mike Conley and Kyle Lowry on my roster and I get to pick and choose which one of those guys is the superior option and keep that player, I think that's a decent situation to be in. You know, having multiple guys that are good. Uh, even if both of them can't succeed in your environment, one of them can, and you you got both of them because, in a certain respect, you may have drafted best player available. That's a fair point, Garrett. But the the problem is, and this is one of like five things I used to butt heads with uh, my my mentor, uh, Mark Warkentine. Rest in peace, my friend. Um, he always had this analogy and i told you guys about this when we would be teaching people about how to be a scout and how to be a gm because we co uh taught a a class on that for several years together um one of the very first things he would say is okay let's say you have a family you've got family responsibilities your kids are at that age where they're starting to do all these extracurriculars they got piano practice they got volleyball they got soccer they got uh you know like dance recital whatever uh you need a minivan you need that trunk space because you're carrying soccer balls and ballet outfits and you need that right it's necessary but your current car is a Porsche it's a badass Porsche. It's an on-ball shot creator. It's awesome. It is an all-star. <laughs> and your wife is pushing you, and this is funny because we're actually looking to get a new car right now too, but your wife right. is pushing you <laughs> to get a minivan, right? Like Because, hey, like we need it. We need it. Our team is not doing, our family, our team is not doing what we want to do because we don't have the trunk space in your Porsche. And he, he would always say, you all, and you have the option of getting that minivan or a second Porsche. And he would say, you always take the talent. You always take the second Porsche because you can always trade one of the Porsches down the line for the minivan. And mm. there's, there's two problems with that. One, you still need the freaking minivan right now <laughs> so like you didn't actually improve your team that much because you still have this this big problem um and two it, it and it's funny it was coming from mark because he knows better trades are way harder to do than people think i blame 2k I blame the media that are always like, I blame Fanspo and all that stuff. We're like, hey, it's like 30, here are 30 different trade offers. Like, that's unrealistic. Uh, 
actually making a trade and banking on, oh, we could always trade. Like, what did the Sixers get for Jaleel Okafor, Garrett? Was it a valid, <laughs> was it a valid value for the third pick? Well, my, my issue with that is that Jaleel Okafor wasn't even a minivan. They thought he was oh, a well, I agree. I agree. I would take Niang over him every day. But, but <laughs> uh, the, the point I'm making is, like, you can't bank on, oh, we, like, we can always trade him down the line. What if he gets injured? Mm. Or what if you sign Markel Fultz. What if you sign him to like a crazy deal because like, hey, he's an all-star level guy and, you know, we can't replace that with our cap space. We need Mm -hmm. to re-sign him for a large deal. And then teams are like, I don't like that money that many years for that guy. Like, I, I don't necessarily think best player available is wrong. I think there's a synthesis point we can have between best player available and fit where what puts us closer to what we're trying to accomplish currently based on our current context say we have a star player or we don't have a star player based on that we determine this is what moves us closer to what we're trying to do and then that is how you evaluate players so it's not a is this player the best on ball shot creator in the draft it's what does our team need to get to where we want to go? In regards to like the Sam Hinkie process, right? And that he said, you know, Josh was mentioning that, oh, you know, you drafted Okafor and Embiid and Noel and Sarich, and you just can't, um, you can't adequately develop all of those guys to a certain to a certain extent. I agree with that, but I would say that they developed Joel Embiid. Nerlens Noel and Dario Saric out of that group. Um, they developed Ben Simmons as well. Um, and, you know, at the early stages of a rebuild, you don't really have to worry about, like, do these players fit together? If you want to play Joel Embiid and Jaleel Okafor at the same time, you can because you don't need to win games, right? Mm. Um, so I think in in a lot of respects – there are there are ways that you can get around some of those issues that, that Josh was mentioning. And then, you know, beyond that, there's the timeline thing. You know, we Joel Embiid was drafted in the 2014 NBA draft, right? And as mm-hmm. early as, you know, 2017-18, people were so concerned about, okay, how are they building around Joel Embiid? Joel Embiid in 2023 is still good enough to win a championship. So yeah. this rush to be like, we have to get the exact right fit right away seems a little bit overstated. You have time to figure out the fit based on like rookie contracts and the guys are restricted free agents after their rookie deals. You get a lot of years as NBA franchises to, to figure all of that stuff out, to build out the best possible team. No, that's true. I, I think it's, it's, I, I, it almost feels going back to what we talk about with the team evaluation. It's almost as much, and I wanted to kind of get to this next. I probably see if maybe Josh in your back, we are having a little technical difficulties on his end. So hopefully so, but if not, I mean, we'll probably touch on this later. It's like how much of that again is also a team's evaluation process, right? I mean, we can even go back even further, right? But like we talk about fit, right? Um, remember this is going way back, but 84 draft, right? Remember the Blazers. 
I mean, at the time, you know, Michael Jordan's available, but you already have uh, Clyde Drexler and you have Jim Paxson, who for his time was a decent shooting guard in the 80s, right? Like, we don't need Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? We need a, we need a center. We're going to go Sam Bowie, right? Like we, and I'm not saying that because, yeah, in retrospect, that looks horrible and everything, but just from a very rudimentary team concept, like, look. And, and yes, basketball was different. You didn't realize maybe you could have played those two together, which you could have definitely done with one of those playing the small forward position. But the mindset being okay, like this is what we have to do, and I can see that again. Well, with, I, I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's important to note too. At in that time period, we're coming off of, you know, Bill Russell. Then you had Wilt Chamberlain. Then you Willis had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, the the NBA mm-hmm. for the decades leading up to 1984 and that draft were dominated by centers. So. Yeah. Um, that's another thing that, and, you know, when you talk about today's NBA, you might see a similar situation where a team maybe over prioritizes a wing now, because that, that is the position. Those are the players that have dominated the league as of late. Um, but yeah, it's, it's important to note that. And there are a lot of situations, um, where, yeah, best player available is just the best option. And, yeah, that that Clyde Drexler situation is kind of similar to what I was talking about with the Cavs, you know, with the with the Sexton and Garland thing, mm-hmm. even though Clyde Drexler is a much superior player. But you didn't know that Clyde Drexler was Clyde Drexler at that point. No, very true, very true. Yeah, I didn't have for another three or so years. And, yeah, I, I think that kind of leads us to, I mean, at least for the moment, like a nice kind of summation point because – we're looking at, you're right, we, we, a lot of it does come down to, and I want to ask this, how much of this comes down to, for you, the theory and philosophy, let's say for the success and feelings of each respective philosophy, right? How much of that comes down to the philosophy as it stands or the team making the decision-making for that and where that goes in? Because, um, like, I bring up, and this is my own most recent example, and some of it, it definitely comes down to the organization, but the Phoenix Suns you know, had a chance for um, Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, what, this was three drafts ago? And went for Jalen Smith. And now he's doing okay in Indiana. Um, but guess who's also flourishing right next to him, right? Tyrese Halliburton. And at the time, you did need a backup point guard in Phoenix. That wasn't the issue it is now with Chris Paul, you know, being about to be 37. But it definitely was a thought, like, okay, like, you know, you want to have a backup point guard, and that is a position of need. That would be a, a, a better, I guess, a better player rather. And Phoenix went with a uh, fit and the fit was bad, but it's not, is that a knock on the philosophy or is that a knock on the Suns front office for their drafting? And as we found out, you know, in later years, it's probably the front office because they apparently don't prioritize drafting their own words, not mine. So like, where do you kind of take stock of all that here? Well, and I think that was what, you know, what we were talking about with um, Marvin Bagley. Uh, we might have been talking about this before we started recording, but the idea that the uh, the Kings may have thought that Bagley was the best player available at two when they drafted him over over Luca, over Jared Jackson Jr. Um, it was wrong. Uh, and I feel like that might be the situation with uh, that that Suns draft pick not taking Halliburton and taking Jalen Smith. Everything I heard was that the Suns were just extremely high on Jalen Smith, and that was just bad scouting, a bad pick on their on their part. 
Uh, and and you you see in some of their other picks they made, like when they drafted Cam Johnson at 11, which ended up being a great pick, um, they they took him a little earlier than I think a lot of people would have because they thought he was the best player on the board at that time. So that's the other thing is I feel like when you're drafting for best player available and you have a good, you know, algorithm methodology to your best player available selections, I feel like, you, you know, nobody is 100% on these picks. You're going to screw some up. Sam Hinkie screwed up the Jaleel Okafor pick, but he hit on a lot of other picks. Um, people forget that he drafted Jeremy Grant and Rashawn Holmes in the second round. He found some some great steals uh, in his tenure there. Um, but it's, you know, I, I feel like more often than not, you're going to hit when you're um, drafting best player available. Whereas with what Josh mentioned earlier, where you're focused on fit and you're drafting a center, even if they might be the 20th best player in a group, uh, oftentimes those decisions are the ones that have the catastrophic consequences. I just want to take this moment real quick to say thank you, both you, Garrett, as well as Josh. Um, we know you're out there. We appreciate you um, helping us as well. Garrett, as usual, thank you again um, for coming on. Uh, real quick, I'll, I'll speak on Josh's behalf real quick, and then, Garrett, you can let the good folks know where to find you and your work as well. But for Josh, uh, you can check him out on Twitter at 2RedJEarl. Uh, definitely make sure to check him out there. Uh, he is a contributor to Switch Theory. Uh, check his website out, myhoopscareer.com. Uh, just check him out on Twitter. Really good follow. Obviously, you know, he preaches team basketball. He might still be there. Um, I think he's here now. Either way, Josh, I hope I made you proud there with the with the ending there. But follow him on Twitter at two red j earl. Uh, really good hoop stuff there. And again, one more time, myhoopscareer.com. Uh, Garrett, where can the good folks find you? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet. And uh, yeah, they can also check out my podcast. Uh, both of these guys uh, that were here, uh, of course, Corbin and Josh, both have appeared on that and. Uh, um, Duncan Dynasty is the name of that, D-U-N-K-I-N Dynasty. And, uh, yeah, I uh, plan on having a, an episode here in the, the next week or so. Um, have been have been working on my 2022 year-end uh, movie list, so I'm, I'm trying to get that out here in the next week or so. But, uh, yeah, um, like I said, follow me on Twitter, and, uh, yeah, you can find me there. There it is. God love it, y'all. Listen. Duncan Dynasty, the great show. Check it out. I've been honored to be on it several times. Josh has been on it. Um, the guy knows his movies, too. I'm not going to pretend like I can entertain that. Josh agrees. He's back. Yes. Josh, um, let's try it. Oh, man. This is when we start talking. You hear me? Okay. It's okay. It's all right, Josh. We appreciate you. Listen, y'all. <laughs> it's going to be a fun show to go back into the into the weeds with. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but definitely make sure to stay tuned. We'll be doing a lot more of these conversations um, all of us between basketball philosophy, between historical context, like we really love the stuff. And as I feel you like tell, the ghost of Monte Ellis, Corbin. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Dude, you totally are. It's crazy over here, man. I don't even know what the internet's doing to you, man, but it's, it's playing some games. <laughs> but listen, for Josh, for Garrett, for myself, we are all frosty. Josh is too. Y'all stay frosty and we'll talk to y'all real. Real soon. All right, y'all.